Scripture reading this evening will be from Psalms 127, verses 1 through 5. Psalm 127, 1 through 5. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he gives his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. Good evening. I invite you to be taking out your Bibles and be turning in your Old Testaments to the book of Psalms and the 127th Psalm, which we just heard in our reading this evening. That will be the, where we take the thoughts of our lesson tonight. Certainly are appreciative of the attendance of those who have come back to join us in worship to God this evening. We're always thankful for opportunities to be together with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We look forward to those opportunities, and you are an encouragement to us. In the beginning, God, as He was creating and forming the world, as He created the first man, Adam, and He saw that it was not good for Him to be alone, He created a helpmate for Him. He created Eve, the first woman, and instituted at that moment the very first family. And as God has revealed in Scripture His plan for the family. You have, I think, in this psalm a reflection on God's intent and His purpose and His design for what the family ought to be. In Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds the house, the psalmist says, they labor in vain who build it. And as the family has been designed in a very intentional way, it is in accordance to God's way that the family should be built. And of course we're not talking about the structure, the physical structure of the house and the family that might reside within that house. We're talking about the way that we should conduct ourselves as a family the responsibilities and the roles that we might have as mothers or in wives and husbands and fathers and children. We all have a particular role that we are to play within the family. And throughout this year, it has been somewhat sporadic, I recognize, but we have tried to highlight some topics that have been that are relevant to matters of the family, talking about marriage, talking about divorce. We've looked at some of those things throughout this year, somewhat periodically. And then over the next few weeks, though, we're going to kind of ramp up that intensity, if you will, throughout this series and look at some matters that are very important to the family that we're going to focus a lot of our time and attention on these matters because this is important. It is about our families. It's about our children, if you are a parent. 
But I think it's also what we have sometimes neglected to make the connection is that it is also about the church. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and in verse 15, the Apostle Paul said to Timothy, he said, but in case I am delayed, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. And as you can see very clearly there, Paul refers to the church as a household. And if we can zoom in very tightly to individual family units, as you zoom out, you're going to see how that would trickle uh, down in, in, and resonate with, within the whole church. And so as we address matters that might pertain to families, it might pertain to husbands and fathers, it might pertain to mothers and wives, we might talk about children and obedience, as we might touch on all these different aspects, it's going to also carry out in the Lord's body, in the church, even locally. And so if we're able to take care of the home, then we are also able to take care of the Lord's church. Godly fathers ought to lead, to lead and make godly leaders in the church. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, one of the uh, qualifications for an overseer or an elder is that he must be a father, he must be a husband, and he must be able to manage his own household. And as Paul would reflect in 1 Timothy 3 and verse 5, but if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? If he can't manage his own family, then how could he ever be able or capable of leading within the Lord's church. Godly mothers lead to wisdom within the church. Godly children teach us all the nature of obedience and submission. And if we will build up the family, then we will build up the church. Imagine with me for a moment that you were to begin building a building of some kind or that you were to begin learning a new skill. It's necessary to learn the principles of a new skill. It's important to lay a proper foundation so that you can construct something that is sturdy and that will last for years to come. I believe the same is true when it comes to understanding the family. We have to look at the foundation of the home, and that is the Lord Himself. The one who has laid the foundation of our families is God. And so in Psalm 127, I want us to study this psalm this evening to gain an appreciation of how God wants the house to be built and what this psalm teaches us about the family. And the first thing that we see is that there is an architect, that there is a designer behind the family, and that is God Himself. As the psalmist reflects in verse 1, unless the Lord builds the house, 
They labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. Any house or any family that is built without the Lord's foundation and plan, it is doomed for failure. We have to recognize that. That any house, any family that does not have God within it, as its foundation, at its heart, at its purpose, a family that is not guided by God's Word is not going to be a successful family. It's not going to be a family that is set up for the great success that God wants for it. The family that could be blessed beyond measure. God has a design for the family and He has revealed that within His Word. And the first thing that we see is that He has designed marriage to be an integral part of the family. That marriage relationship, that the marriage relationship, it is what where the family begins. In Genesis chapter 2, as we alluded to, in Genesis the second chapter, as God had created the heavens and the earth, He began to create uh, the first man and the first woman. In Genesis chapter 2, in verse 22, it says, The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which He had taken from the man and brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife. And they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. What they does in verses 24 and 25, Moses, as he is writing in the book of Genesis, as he records here, he begins to offer a little bit of commentary on this event, doesn't he? He is explaining this and putting it in context for us that as you have man and the first woman that they are now joined together. They are literally bone of bone and flesh of flesh. And so he concludes this reason. A man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And they shall become one flesh. That the marriage relationship begins to be a connection, an intimate connection, not just sexually, but that there is this sharing between life. That we are to share our lives mutually, that we are to be involved with each other. And this is something that is respected from the very beginning of the Bible. And there's this intimacy, this closeness between man and woman that is designed to be a permanent, lifelong relationship. In Matthew, the 19th chapter, as Jesus was questioned about divorce and whether divorce just for any reason would be acceptable, Jesus didn't answer the question right away. He started talking to them about the importance of marriage. In Matthew, chapter 19, and in verse 4, Jesus said, Have you not read that He who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. 
That's the general rule of thumb there. And he says, this is the rule. This is a permanent relationship that should never be ended. He provides one exception for that in cases of adultery. But in principle, the marriage relationship is between a man and a woman, and it is designed for life. And you think about how the family has come under attack in my lifetime, especially in the past 10, 15 years, with the wide acceptance of homosexuality and it being legalized and accepted, culturally speaking. How that has departed from God's plan, it's not between man and a woman, it's between a man and a man, or a woman and a woman, and that is something that is a far cry from what the Bible has taught. Homosexuality in no way conforms to God's design for the family. And what you also see from the very beginning as God designed the family was that there would be the role of children in Genesis chapter 1. In Genesis chapter 1 and in verse 28, as Genesis chapter 1 really takes sort of the the very big view of creation in chapter 2 really kind of zooms in to look at man and woman, but you have the overall general picture in chapter 1. In verse 28, it says, God blessed them. That is the first man, the first woman. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish and of, of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. He tells them to be fruitful and, be, and multiply. God has a plan for husbands and wives, to procreate and have children. And God has not left us without a design or a plan in place. In the book of Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 6, one of the songs that we were led in had this as the theme verse. In Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That is your responsibility as a father. And if you have children, you have a response, and you're the husband or the man, you have a responsibility to train up your children to know the Lord. And if you're not doing that, then you are failing in your responsibility as a father. That's more than just getting them to church. It's more than just getting them in a Bible class. While all that might be part of it, it's going to be having discussions with your children. It's going to be talking to them about important things in the, their life. God has a plan for you. And you need to lead like Christ would have you to lead. You lead them in the way of Christ. And as a husband, you need to learn to not be a dictator, but to be a loving example. In Ephesians chapter 5, the chapter before, 
in Ephesians chapter 5 and in verse 1 where Paul says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave Himself up for us an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. He says walk in love just as Christ also loved you. And then to bring that home later and to resonate with that towards the end of chapter 5. He says in verse 23, For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But then he says in verse 25, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Husbands have the responsibility to care and to be the leader of their family, but they do so through a loving example. Not by being a dictator, not by being right all the time, but for someone who leads in the way that Christ led. To lead out of sacrificial love, out of concern for someone. And husbands have to ultimately regard your wife as a partner. I think that is somewhat unique for us to consider, but in 1 Peter chapter 3, in 1 Peter chapter 3, and in verse 20, or in verse uh, 7, rather, in 1 Peter chapter 3 and in verse 7, Peter, he says, you husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with someone weaker since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. As you treat your wife with the dignity and the respect that comes along with being a woman, And then he says, you show her honor as a fellow heir or a joint heir. Someone who is on equal grounding with you. Yes, you are the head of the family. That doesn't mean you're better. That means you have a different role. But in relation before God... You are a joint heir. You are a partner. You are a partner in your family. You are partners and fellow heirs in the grace of life. Mothers, you have the responsibility to love your husbands and your children. In the book of Titus, in Titus chapter 2, in Titus chapter 2, And in verse 4, as Paul has been writing to Titus about the responsibilities of older women to teach the younger women, he says in verse 4, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children. You know, have you ever wondered, why does someone have to be taught that? Sometimes love doesn't come easy or naturally. Sometimes it's a challenge. Especially whenever your husband or your children do something that makes them very unlovable at the time. It can be a challenge. 
But he goes on in verse 5 to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the Word of God will not be dishonored. Wives and mothers, you are to be loving towards your husbands and your children. You're to be sensible with them and to be pure in your life. And you are to be involved in the home. A worker at home. Well, that doesn't mean that that's the only place you can work. <laughs> but I think it is important to see that you are to have a hand in the affairs of what is going on in your home. You're to manage that. You're to be involved in domestic affairs. That may not be popular to preach today in our society, but it is the plan that God has placed and put for us in the home. And of course, children have a responsibility as well. In Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 1, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Children have the responsibility in the home to obey and honor their parents. Because that is what is pleasing and right in the sight of the Lord. God, being the architect of the home, the one who has built the home, he has a way in which He has covered everything. That everyone has a responsibility. Everyone has a, a plan and a purpose and a role to fill. And as Solomon, the author of our psalm in Psalm 127 said, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. You know families that do not operate in with those kinds of dynamics, the biblical dynamics that we have just covered? It's chaos, isn't it? There's anger, there's frustration because roles are not always fulfilled. There's competition rather than loving help. There's disobedience that occurs. God has a plan in place that He has revealed for us that we need to be following. And so He is the architect. He is the designer of the home. But then He is also the provider for the home. In Psalm 127 in verse 2, Solomon writes, It is vain for you to rise up early, to retire late, to eat the bread of painful labors, for He gives to His beloved even in His sleep. You've probably known the type that type of man that would kind of puff out his chest and be real happy that he's the one who provides for his family. He doesn't have to accept any help from anyone, right? What we need to realize is that the family, in accordance to God's way, God is the true provider. He is the one who offers true blessing. 
He tells us right there, doesn't He? It is vain for you to rise up early and to retire late. It's vain. It's nothing. It's emptiness for you to get up early and to go to bed late thinking, I'm the one who has provided food for my family. If you don't give any consideration for God, it's vain. Now don't take that to an extreme to think that he's saying it's okay to be lazy men. That's not what he's saying. It is vain for you to concentrate on work and providing for your family if you do not first consider God as the ultimate provider because you can build up wealth for yourself, but you know how much you're going to take with you after you die? Not a dime of it. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6 and in verse 7, he says, For we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. He goes on to warn in verse 10, For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. What I think the psalmist is trying to express here for us is to realize that our work, our laboring for our families, the provision that we make for our families, it cannot be completely separated from God's provision. In Matthew, the sixth chapter, in the Sermon on the Mount, what Jesus was teaching as he was encouraging us to not worry about this life and what it might bring he says in Matthew 6 and verse 25 for this reason I say to you do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink nor for your body as to what you will put on Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? He says, you need to see the big picture. There's more to life than that. If that is all that you're concentrated on, if all that you are focused on is the rat race of life and trying to keep up with the Joneses, you've missed it. He says in verse 26, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? God is going to provide for you is the point Jesus is trying to communicate. He says, and so you need to trust in that. You need to trust in God's provision that He's going to care for you and love for you. But what's your role and your primary responsibility? Verse 33 but seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Yes, you work for your family. If a man does not work, neither should he eat, is what Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 3. But you need to understand your first and ultimate priority Serving God in His kingdom. That means that when presented with opportunities to get overtime or be at Bible class, 
guess what you need to be choosing? Bible class. You need to spend time with God's people and in God's book. You need to spend time with your family in prayer. You need to place a great emphasis on being at worship. You want to rely upon your brothers and sisters, not just your own self from time to time. And fathers, you might be very successful in business. You might be successful in saving money. But it's going to be far more important and far more enriching for your family, for your children, for your wife to be at worship services and to serve as an elder or a deacon or teaching a Bible class than it is to spend all of your time and your energy in focusing on your accounts. Solomon says, it is vain for you to rise up early, to retire late, to eat the bread of painful labors, for he gives to his beloved even in his sleep. And even when you're not working, God is able to bless you. And God is able to provide for you. Even when you're having a peaceful slumber. What a comforting thought. That God is the ultimate and true provider for our families. And we need to trust and recognize and pray to God. I think that is one of the reasons that in the model prayer, Jesus teaches us to ask for our daily bread. Yes, it might be before us, and yes, we might have been able to be the ones who had the money in our bank accounts to pay for the food, or the ability to go out and hunt it and Prepare it and eat it. But who is the one that ultimately provided opportunity and blessing us with that? It's God's favor in His hand that has overseen that. God is the provider in our families. And we need to recognize His role and His place. And then we also see that God is the rewarder for families. That He is the one who provides rich reward. Especially seen in the gift of children. In Psalm 127 and verse 3, Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate. There's a principle that we see set forth is that God is the one who blesses the womb. And children are a blessing for those who serve and fear God faithfully. In the very next psalm, in Psalm 128, I had, already, I had always kind of noticed Psalm 127 when I want to preach on the family, but go on, going on into Psalm 128. In verse 1, How blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, 
who walks in his ways. When you shall eat of the fruit of your hands, you will be happy and it will be well with you. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine within your house, your children like olive plants around your table. Behold, for thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. If you focus on serving God, there is blessing that you can look forward to. There is a reward. In the book of Deuteronomy, in Deuteronomy chapter 30, in Deuteronomy chapter 30 and in verse 9, as God was offering promises to the children of Israel as they would come into the promised land, He is promising them that He would be with them, that He would bless them immensely. And in Deuteronomy chapter 30 and in verse 9, it says, Then the Lord your God will prosper you abundantly in all the work of your hand, in the offspring of your body, and in the offspring of your cattle, and the produce of your ground. For the Lord will again rejoice over you for good, just as He rejoiced over your fathers. If you obey the Lord your God to keep His commandments and His statutes which are written in this book of the law, if you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul. For those who are focused on serving God, there is blessing that will accompany it. If there is a lesson that we learn in the Bible, I think it is this. God is the one who blesses mothers and fathers with children. As we looked at the example this morning of Sarah, the language that Paul uses in Romans chapter 4 is the deadness of Sarah's womb. There was death there. There was no life there. But what is God capable of doing? He's capable of bringing life into places where there is death. God is the one who has ultimate power to provide life. And she was barren until she was 90 years old. And it's the same story in the book of Genesis with Rebecca and Rachel. As you continue on throughout the Old Testament, it's the same story with Hannah too. And then you see the story kind of in reverse with Mary, the mother of Jesus. A young girl who had never known a man is pregnant and gives birth to the Savior of the world. God is the one who has power over the womb. He is the one who gives life and rewards us with children. And we need not forget that. Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. And you have a responsibility to recognize that gift and to be a good steward with that gift as parents. You need to, as you teach and shape and fashion your children and if you offer instruction to them, that you are preparing them to be returned to God. And in Psalm 127, there's this comparison that of the one who has these children. And he is a warrior. 
And his children are like arrows that are in this man's quiver. And you, if you go into battle and you're an archer, you don't want to run out of arrows, do you? And so he says, how blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. That God provides blessing and reward with children. And what I think we begin to see is, as you zoom out a little bit more, that the house is reflecting its Maker, the Creator, the Designer, in holiness and morality that we are to live in a way that would be like our Creator. We are to have love within the home. There's life within the home. There's instruction and discipline. There's work. There's reward. These are all characteristics that God has shared with us that God Himself has. And we need to take these things very seriously. We need to be focused on building the house the Lord's way because this is the house that He has built. You go into a house and you can see that in its design it reflects something of the one who purposed it, designed it, maybe the architect, or maybe if you had a hand in building your own house, I bet I could go into that house and I could pick certain things that would just say, yeah, that, that just screams you, you know. There's, there's things that would just be subtle, but would really express your personality. Even in the homes that you might choose to buy and live in, I bet there are elements that just say that's you because that's what you focus on. Those are things that you enjoy. Those are things that you like. The same is true when it comes to the house and the family that the Lord wants us to have. Our families, we see that he has organized it and structured it in a way that would reflect Him and what He finds to be important. And so if we want to have a happy home, then it must begin with the Lord. It must begin with a focus on serving Him and doing what is right and pleasing in His sight. And our families must be families who seek first God and His kingdom. And that we're building our family with a recognition of the roles and the responsibility that God has placed with each one of us. And God needs to be within our homes because He is the one who has designed the family. He needs to be the preeminent one, the key figure in our family. And if we bring the Lord into our homes, that's the beginning of a successful family.
tonight, if you have not been seeking first God and His kingdom, we want you and we encourage you to come to the Lord. To focus your life and your priorities and to build your life around God and serving Him. Maybe you've been seeking pleasure and satisfaction from other sources and other places. But if you would come to Him, He will bless you. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. That is what He expects from each and every one of us. Tonight, if you need to name the name of Christ and be baptized in water, we're prepared to help you do that. Maybe it is that you have been a Christian for a number of years, but you've not been living faithfully for the Lord. Maybe you need the prayers of the brethren here, and you're discouraged and you need some help. We're here to help you. If we can encourage you in some way tonight, would you come now as we stand and as we sing?